Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 20. Previously, on Pride and Prejudice, we met the Bennet family, the Bingley family, Mr. Bingley's best friend, Mr. Darcy, the Lucases, the Phillips. Mr. Wickham, Mr. Collins. We've got a lot of characters going on here. Basic details are Mr. Bingley moved into town. He's rich. He falls in love with Jane Bennett, who is beautiful and an angel and everything's great, except for his sisters don't think she's good enough for him and neither does Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy met Elizabeth and at first he thought he hated her because he was grumpy, but then he realized he really likes her. But she hates him because he said bad things about her and is not really great socially. Um, so he loves her, but she hates him and she doesn't know that he loves her and it's a whole thing. Um, Mr. Collins is her cousin, Elizabeth's cousin, who is going to inherit her father's estate. And last chapter, he proposed to her. Which, morally, actually, I think is a good thing. I know it's weird and by modern concepts, but, you know, it is socially, I think, a really good thing for them that Mr. Collins would marry one of the daughters of the family, and Elizabeth is the obvious choice because Mrs. Bennet has basically told him that Jane, the eldest, is already practically engaged to Mr. Bingley's, so the next oldest would be Elizabeth, and, you know, generally, if you're going by standard rules of society, which is what Mr. Collins does, the next oldest is the next appropriate choice. So he chose Elizabeth. And last chapter he proposed in a very not good way that showed him for being kind of the jerk that he is. But I don't think his, the idea that he wants to marry one of the girls so that, like, to help them, since he's going to inherit their father's estate, that's not a bad thought process to start with. If only he weren't quite so um, off-putting, or if he had chosen Mary, who is probably the only daughter who would have wanted to accept him. Or, in all honesty, I wonder if I do wonder if Jane would have said yes if he had asked her prior to her having met Bingley. We'll never know, but I do think that she was a better bet than Elizabeth, probably, for being willing to go through with this. In any case. Um, last chapter was all about that proposal and Mr. Collins going on and on about why and the reasons for marriage and all of this and showing himself to be a very bad choice for Elizabeth. And so she said no, but he has not really accepted her um, refusal. He thinks that it's all just from her maidenly modesty. Or whatnot, and we get into chapter 20, which is the next fallout, and Mr. Collins realizing that when Elizabeth said no, she meant it. Here we go into chapter 20. So, chapter 20 starts with the sentence Mr. Collins was not left long to the silent contemplation of his successful love. For Mrs. Bennet, having dawdled about in the vestibule to watch for the end of the conference, no sooner saw Elizabeth open the door and with quick step pass her towards the staircase than she entered the breakfast room and congratulated both him and herself in warm terms on the happy prospect of their nearer connection. 
Jane Austen is very big on these really long run-on sentences, but and it all makes sense, and I love it, but it's just a very long sentence. But So here we go. Mr. Collins thinks, even though Elizabeth has told him very, very plainly that, um, no, she does not want to marry him, he still is thinking that everything's going fine and he's going to marry Elizabeth, and it doesn't matter. Um, but, and which is what he tells Mrs. Bennet when she comes in. So... She comes in and they congratulate themselves and it says Mr. Collins received and returned these felicitations with equal pleasure and then proceeded to relate the particulars of the, their interview with the result of which he trusted he had every reason to be satisfied since the refusal which his cousin had steadfastly given him would naturally flow from her bashful modesty and the genuine delicacy of her character. This information, however, startled Mrs. Bennet. She would have been glad to be equally satisfied that her daughter had meant to encourage him by protesting against his proposals, but she dared not believe it, and could not help saying so. So here we see Mrs. Bennet not being great socially, because realistically what she should have said was nothing. She should have just been like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then gone off to deal with Elizabeth. Instead, she lets Mr. Collins know that, oh, crap, this is a problem. Um, which is the first time he realized it was a problem. If he, if she really wanted Lizzie to marry him, she should have kept the fact that this was a problem to herself, I think. But Mrs. Bennet is unable to do so. Um, so she says, but depend upon it, Mr. Collins, that Lizzie shall be brought to reason. I will speak to her about it myself directly. She's a very headstrong, foolish girl and does not know her own interest, but I will make her know it. So what is Mrs. Bennet saying here? She is saying that Elizabeth is wrong in refusing him and that Lizzie doesn't understand what she's doing. She's foolish and headstrong and she doesn't understand what she's turning down, but Mrs. Bennet's going to go explain it to her. Um, and Mr. Collins basically replies with, well, if that's true, if she's really headstrong and foolish, I'm not sure that she'll actually be a good wife for me. You know, I said, who naturally, she says, um... I know not whether she would altogether be a very desirable wife for a man in my situation, who naturally looks for happiness in the marriage state. If, therefore, she actually persists in rejecting my suit, perhaps it were better not to force her into accepting me, because if liable to such de defects of temper, she could not contribute much to my felicity. Which, Mr. Collins, Lizzie told you last chapter over and over again that, like, she was not going to make you happy, He would not, ma you would not make her happy, like, she was very clear, and he listened to none of it. But now Mrs. Bennet says something, and he's suddenly completely like, ooh, maybe I don't want to marry her. Like, he believes her. Which, again, shows a deficit in his character, I think, that he will only listen to Mrs. Bennet, so an older woman, I suppose, and not a woman that he thinks of as a marriage prospect. He wasn't willing to listen to Lizzie in any sense. And he's shown that over and over, that he didn't think of Lizzie as an actual person, with real thoughts and feelings and ideas on subjects, which is, again, why they would not make a good pair. Whereas right here, he's very willing to miss listen to Mrs. Bennet in a way he was not willing to listen to her daughter, which I think is an interesting part of his character. And Mrs. Bennet quickly has to backtrack and say, oh, no, you misunderstand me. She's only headstrong in such matters as these and everything else. She's just a good-natured girl has ever lived. I'm going to go talk to Mr. Bennet. Um, stay here, basically. And then she didn't give him time to reply. She hurries away. And then there's a great line here. She says, oh, Mr. 
Bennet, you are wanted immediately. We are all in an uproar. You must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, for she vows she will not have him. And if you do not make haste, he will change his mind and not have her. And Mr. Bennet just kind of looks up late and says, I have not the pleasure of understanding you. Of what are you talking? <laughs> Which is pretty great. And I'm thinking of specifically the 95 Colin Firth adaptation they do this scene really well and I love it so that's what I'm seeing there and then so Mrs. Bennett goes on with of Mr. Collins and Lizzie Lizzie declares she will not have Mr. Collins and Mr. Collins begins to say that he will not have Lizzie and what am I to do on the occasion it seems a hopeless business speak up to Lizzie about it yourself tell her that you insist upon her marrying him and he says let her be called down she'll hear my opinion very important mrs bennett doesn't notice this but he doesn't say okay i will do as you wish and encourage lizzie to marry her him he says she will hear my opinion um so those are different things as we will quickly find out here so lizzie's brought down and he says um i have sent for you on an affair of importance i understand that mr collins has made you an offer of marriage is it true elizabeth replied that it was very well, and this offer of marriage you have refused. I have, sir. Very well. We now come to the point. Your mother insists upon your accepting it. Is it not so, Mrs. Bennet? Yes, or I will never see her again. An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. Again, such a great line from Mr. Bennett there. Such a clutch move. Such, again, the reason that we love Mr. Bennett, even though he is not necessarily the best father, and we will get into that later, especially to some of his other daughters. He is um, not an ideal parental figure in a lot of ways. But this moment where he is willing to back Elizabeth up and let her say no to a marriage proposal is something that we love him for. Especially as a modern reader, I think. We love, love, love him for it. But realistically, I would like to talk about what this actually means. And what it is that they are actually talking about here. Because I, I agree that Mr. Bennett is in the right here. And I love him for it. But I don't think Mrs. Bennett is wrong in thinking that this is a good idea for the family. As I've said multiple times, I think. This is socially, like, the correct answer, right? Like, this would save the family from ruin. This would allow the fact, if Elizabeth marries Mr. Collins, then the Longbourn estate stays in the family. When Mr. Bennett dies, Mr. Collins and Elizabeth, as Mrs. Collins, would get to move back in. And, you know, um, Mrs. Bennett would get to stay as the mother-in-law. Any other unmarried sisters would get to stay as the sisters-in-law. Um... It would save them, right? It would keep them housed for the rest of their lives and not let them be kicked out. With Elizabeth saying no to this proposal, what that practically speaking means is that Mr. Collins will probably not let them stay when Mr. Bennett dies. So Mrs. Bennett and any other unmarried daughters are effectively homeless and are going to be dependent on family to take them in. They don't have enough money to live anywhere near the standard that they are currently living with the money they're going to have once Mr. Bennett dies. So it's again one of those things. The Bennetts are not currently poor. 
They are not currently lacking for money. However, it is all tied up in the estate. They, so they get their annual income from the farms of the estate. Um, they don't have any money saved. So they are living year to year on the money that they earn from that estate, which is a good amount of money. They're doing well, but they spend it all every year. And they will lose that income when Mr. Bennett dies. They will also lose the house that they are living in when Mr. Bennett dies. So it is a real concern that they are not going to be able to support themselves once Mr. Bennett is dead. His wife, assuming she outlives him and she's a good bit younger than him probably, so that would be, you know, the assumption. And of course, any of his daughters who are unmarried will all be homeless and pretty poor when he dies. And they are going to be dependent on, it seems like, probably Mrs. Bennett's family to take them in at such a time unless one of the girls or a couple of the girls get married and have wealthy husbands who can take care of them. So this is a real concern about making sure that her family is not homeless and, you know, has enough to eat and has clothes and has food and shelter and all of that. So she is not wrong to be worried about this. She is wrong in not knowing her own children and realizing that obviously Lizzie was going to say no to this marriage proposal. But... She is not wrong to be wanting a marriage between her daughter and Mr. Collins to take place. Honestly, she, again, if she had any smarts, she would have just pointed him towards Mary. Because Mary probably would have been willing to marry him at some point. But the, that doesn't take away from the fact that this line that Mr. Bennett says here is iconic and I love it and it's fabulous and again it's great in the 95 adaptation when he says that and here we have and then it goes on to say Elizabeth smiles at you know the speech that he gave but Mrs. Bennett who had persuaded herself that her husband regarded the affair as she wished was excessively disappointed and here again Mrs. Bennett we see she had persuaded herself that her husband regarded the affair as she wished he never agrees with her. Why in the world would she think that he agreed with her um, or would stand behind her? He has given no indication that he would do so. She has made all this up in her own mind. She has decided that Collins is going to marry Lizzie. She has built this up. It's going to be great. She has not talked to Ms. her husband about this. She has not talked to Lizzie about it, really. She just assumed it was all going to go off without a hitch. And as far as Mr. Collins goes, it did because he asked Lizzie to marry him. Um, but as far as Lizzie goes, it was a problem because Lizzie refused. So there we go. And then, so she, she, Mrs. Bennett, yells at Mr. Bennett and says, What are you doing? What do you mean by talking this way? You promised to me to insist upon her marrying him. Which if you remember, no, he did not. He did not promise that. He said she would hear his opinion. And his opinion is that she shouldn't marry Mr. Collins because Mr. Collins is an idiot. So Mr. Bennett agrees with Lizzie. Um, and Mrs. Bennett is still just looking at the financial aspects of it. And the reason I just want to bring that up is that I really do want to talk about the fact that Mrs. Bennett is annoying and says a lot of really obnoxious things and is wrong in trying to force her daughter to marry this awful man. But she's also right that they need money and food and security and this would give them that. Um, so she's not like this ridiculous, crazy person the way a lot of people seem to think she is. So I just want to put that in. Um, 
And Mr. Bennett replies with another great line, because Mr. Bennett has all the great lines. She says, My dear, I have two small favors to request. First, that you will allow me the free use of my understanding on the present occasion. Meaning, no, I didn't. I did not say that I would prompt, that I would force her to marry him. I, you know, I will make my own judgments, and I've decided I don't think that's a good match. <clears throat> and secondly, of my room. I shall be glad to have the library to myself as soon as may be. Which is, again, one of Mr. Bennett's really big faults, in my opinion. That he he wants privacy in his library, which, I mean, it's not a... Fine, he wants to be alone. I am an introvert. I like being alone as well. I completely empathize and, and, and agree with that mindset. But um, we will see where this causes problems for him in the future, where his biggest thing is just peacefulness for himself in his library. He doesn't want to deal with the rest of life. And I think we see that in the way that he has allowed it to get to this point, where he hasn't saved money for his daughters or his widow when he dies. He hasn't thought about the future or dealt with it in any meaningful way. He just likes to forget about it and sit in his library and pretend like it's not going to happen. And same thing with his younger daughters, who he doesn't take much interest in. He has written them all off as silly and just ignores them, which is not good father behavior. He is not taking any effort on himself to go out and teach them or talk to them or interact with them really in any capacity at all. And that is unfortunate and sad. And yes, he seems like he's a good father to Lizzie and maybe even Jane, but he's not a good father to his other daughters. And that is a huge failing in him, even though I love him. So there we go. So while this is all going on, or, well, after this goes on. So they have that conversation, they leave, and Mrs. Bennett is not accepting of the situation yet. She's still trying to force Lizzie to accept Mr. Collins. It says she talked to Elizabeth again and again, coaxed and threatened her by turns. She endeavored to secure Jane in her interest, but Jane, with all possible mildness, declined interfering. And Elizabeth, sometimes with real earnestness and sometimes with playful gaiety, replied to her attacks. Though her manner varied, however, her determination never did. So Mrs. Bennett is just going at Lizzie over and over again, trying to convince her. She tries to get Jane on her side, but Jane refuses to take sides because Jane is Jane. And Elizabeth never varies on her. Nah, no, I'm not doing this, though. And then we get Mr. Collins' perspective on the situation. He was meditating on, in solitude on what had passed. I think this is a great line that tells us a little bit about Mr. Collins here. He says... He thought too well of himself to comprehend on what motive his cousin could refuse him. And though his pride was hurt, he suffered in no other way. His regard for her was quite imaginary. And the possibility of her deserving her mother's reproach prevented his feeling any regret. So here we have Mr. Collins not understanding why Lizzie would not want to marry him. Um, he thought too well of himself. I just thought that was a great line, that he thought too well of himself to understand why Lizzie wouldn't want to marry him, right? He doesn't understand what, like, there is against him. Like, the fact that he's bringing up Lady Catherine de Bourgh and his place and the fact that he's inheriting her father's money, he is very much looking at this as a business deal, right? Like, it has all the benefit to her. And again, he is not wrong of looking at this as from a purely money business transaction setting, that it is an eligible match for Lizzie 
that society would accept it as being an equal match, that it would be good financially for her, for her family. And we see very clearly that he doesn't see marriage as anything more than that, right? He sees it as this family connection, monetary, legal thing. And that's really all there is to it. Lizzie wants more from that, more than that. And she has made it very, very clear that she is a romantic in a way that Mr. Collins is not. And that's part of why they're not a good match, right? That Mr. Collins sees this as a practical situation, a monetary situation, and that's it. And we see that from here, that like he doesn't get why she would say no, because he doesn't understand that it's his personality and his person that she's not interested in. You know, she doesn't want to spend time with you or be around you, and that's why she doesn't want to marry you. Um, it's not that your connections and money are not up to snuff. And he doesn't understand that difference. But he will find a wife very soon who feels about marriage similarly enough to him to be a good match for him in that sense. And we meet his future wife coming in very soon because here comes Charlotte Lucas who comes in and right away Lydia attacks her right away saying, oh my gosh, you have to hear what happened. Mr. Collins made an offer to Lizzie and she will not have him. And then immediately Kitty runs out and says the same thing. And then they walk into the breakfast room and Mrs. Bennett is there and she likewise began on the subject and starts asking Charlotte to help her convince Lizzie to say yes to Mr. Collins and asking her to do it. So she says, Mrs. Bennett here, for nobody is on my side. Nobody takes part with me. I am cruelly used. Nobody feels for my poor nerves. And Charlotte doesn't have to reply because Jane and Lizzie come in. And then Mrs. Bennet here, she says, Ah, there she comes, looking as unconcerned as may be, and caring no more for us than if we were at York, provided she can have her own way. But I tell you what, Miss Lizzie, if you take it into your head to go on refusing every offer of marriage in this way, you will never get a husband at all, and I am sure I do not know who is to maintain you when your father is dead. I shall not be able to keep you. And so I warn you, I have done with you from this very day. I told you in the library, you know that I should never speak to you again, and you will find me as good as my word. I have no pleasure in talking to undutiful children. Not that I have much pleasure indeed in talking to anybody. People who suffer as I do from nervous complaints can have no great inclination for talking. Nobody can tell what I suffer. But it is always so. Those who do not complain are never pitied. Um, so that was very Mrs. Bennet, like Mrs. Bennet at her peak Mrs. Bennetness. I want to go through here because, again, she is not wrong here talking about the evils of what is going on, saying that if you basically telling Lizzie, if you don't get married, when your father dies, we're all screwed. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know who's going to maintain you. Who's going to keep you? Where are you going to live? Who's going to pay for your food? Who's going to pay for your clothes? It is all up in the air. Now, realistically, in knowing their family situation, um, probably the gardeners would, you know, be able to take them on. At least Jane and Lizzie. I'm sure they would be take Jane and Lizzie in. Um, they're doing pretty well financially, it seems. So they, I'm sure, would take care of them. The Phillipses are also okay and could probably take a few of them. Um, so if they split up and sent, you know, some to the Phillipses, some to the gardeners, I'm sure they're not going to starve to death because they do have family who are going to take care of them. But it would be a huge step down socially and in their lifestyle to live with the Gardeners or the Phillipses, um, who are Mrs. Bennett's family, right? Mrs. Phillips is Mrs. Gard 
is Mrs. Bennett's sister and Mr. Gardner is Mrs. Bennett's brother. So it would be her family and her family are doing well enough and I'm sure they would take them in. Um, so, I mean, the idea that they're actually going to starve, probably not. But it, they would be, you know, left to the goodwill of those family members and their willingness to take them in. And they are in a very bad financial situation if their family is unwilling to take them in. So she's, again, not wrong about that and the, the direness of the situation. Um, but I do think it's very funny here that she's saying, I have done with you. I told you in the library that I would never speak to you again and you will find me as good as my word. She says as she keeps talking to Lizzie. And we've heard that she's been talking and berating Lizzie ever since. So um, I think Lizzie would be very happy if Mrs. Bennett would stop talking to her for a bit. But Mrs. Bennett is not going to do that. Um, it just kind of, again, shows her absurdity. Even though she is not wrong in what she says, the way she says it is absurd. Right? And saying that she takes no um, pleasure in talking to anybody. Again, not true. That's the only thing she likes to do. She likes to talk. If we've known anything about Mrs. Bennett, her favorite thing is talking. And then saying, nobody can tell what I suffer, but those who do not complain are never pitied. Again, all Mrs. Bennett likes to do is talk and complain. That's her favorite activity. So to say that she never complains is a flat-out lie. Mrs. Bennett is ridiculous, and I love her. But she's not wrong. She is ridiculous, but she's not wrong. Says her daughters just sat there in silence, knowing that if they said anything, it would just make it worse. Um, and so she talked on there for without interruption from any of them until they were joined by Mr. Collins. So they all are just, her daughters and Charlotte apparently know her well enough that they're just kind of sitting there in silence and letting Mrs. Bennett ramble and ramble and ramble. And then Mr. Collins comes in and then again, she tells them, she says, so we've just heard that she's been rambling on for a while. She's the only one talking. Everyone else is sitting there in silence. And she then goes on with, Now I do insist upon it that you, all of you, hold your tongues and let Mr. Collins and me have a little conversation together. Again, she didn't have to silence anyone. Nobody else was talking. But she likes to make everything dramatic. So Elizabeth quickly leaves. Jane and Kitty follow her. But Lydia stays because she wants to hear everything. And Charlotte at first stays because Mr. Collins is talking to her. It says, detained by first by the civility of Mr. Collins, whose inquiries after herself and all her family were very minute. But then by a little curiosity, satisfied herself with walking to the window and pretending not to hear. So we're left with Mrs. Bennett talking to Mr. Collins with only Lydia and Charlotte there to hear the conversation. Lydia blatantly just eavesdropping because she wants the gossip. And Charlotte also wanting the gossip, but pretending not to listen. And then we get the last paragraph, which is another Mr. Collins speech. So I'm just going to read you the last paragraph, which is all Mr. Collins speech. My dear madam, replied he, let us be forever silent on this point. Far be it from me, he presently continued in a voice that marked his displeasure, to resent the behavior of your daughter. Resignation to inevitable evils is the duty of us all, the peculiar duty of a young man who has been so fortunate as I have been, an early preferment, and I trust I am resigned, perhaps not the less so from feeling a doubt of my positive happiness had my fair cousin honoured me with her hand, for I have often observed that resignation is never so perfect as when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation. You will not, I hope, consider me as showing any disrespect to your family, my dear madam. 
by thus withdrawing my pretensions to your daughter's favour without having paid yourself and Mr. Bennet the compliment of requesting you to, you to interpose your authority on my behalf. My conduct may, I fear, be objectionable in having accepted my dismissal from your daughter's lips instead of your own, but we are all liable to error. I have certainly meant well through the whole affair. My object has been to secure an amiable companion for myself, with due consideration for the advantage of all your family. And if my manner has been at all reprehensible, I here beg leave to apologize. Which is as much of a burn as Mr. Collins is going to be able to do. Um, but I think it's interesting that he's saying that he's completely resigned, has no ill will, blah, blah, blah. But in his tone of voice that marked his displeasure. Um, so he is also lying. Um, and he's also trying to say here that, you know, I'm resigned and I don't really like her anyway, basically, is what I'm hearing this. Because the saying that, you know, it's great when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation. Which is such a jerk move, honestly. He's just saying, in my opinion, what I'm getting from this is that <clears throat> we're not going to talk about it anymore. I don't hold any ill will against your daughter for denying me. Um, and I don't really like her anyway. I didn't want her anyway. I didn't ever loved her. I mean, he didn't. But it's just very, like, she's not good anyway. I didn't really want her. I was only doing it because I thought it was the good thing, right thing to do. <laughs> just, meh. You're gross, Mr. Collins. I think it's interesting to note that Charlotte is here for this conversation because she hears what he's looking for and what he's offering and how Lizzie doesn't want him, which I think will be important coming up very soon whenever um, Charlotte decides to marry him. So that is an important piece to think about that in the next couple chapters. I don't know if it's next chapter, but soon. Um, but that is an important thing to think about is that Charlotte is here listening to all of this. And I do think that that's an important thing that you probably wouldn't notice the first time through, but like is important for realizing that Charlotte is creating the situation that is to come. Um, but I just think it's very weaselly of Mr. Collins to end this way. It again shows that he's not the nicest person. Again, even though I've been trying to defend him and say that what he's trying to do for the Bennett family is good, doesn't mean I like him, doesn't mean I think Elizabeth should marry him, because their dispositions are just wrong, and they wouldn't make each other happy. Elizabeth would be miserable with him. But it's not because he would be awful for everyone. And the reason I bring that up is because I, I think I'll have a very different opinion when Charlotte comes up. I will defend Charlotte to the end of the earth. I love her and I will definitely have a lot to say when we get to the chapter where she decides to marry him. So that's what I've got for this chapter. It's basically just a roundup of where are they now? What happened after Lizzie decided not to accept Mr. Collins? Um, and that's where they are. <laughs> Mrs. Bennett is still unhappy. Mr. Collins is being a jerk about it. And that's about as expected. So we'll be back next time for chapter 21. And that is going to center a little bit more on the situation with Jane and Bingley. Poor, poor Jane. That's all I've got to say. 
Um, so I'll be back for that. <sighs> this whole Mr. Collins thing kind of takes it out of me. Um, I'm, but I am very excited to be, I think it's in two chapters, chapter 22, where we'll talk about Charlotte, um, cause I love Charlotte. So I am very excited to talk about her and yeah, we'll be back next time with chapter 21. See y'all then. Bye. Mm -hmm.